Hi, hello, it's Jojo. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, The Reflection in the Broken Mirror, please do so. It'll help the flow of the up-and-coming episodes with their more introspective take make sense. Also, be sure to rate this podcast on Spotify and Apple if you feel led to. We commence. So, yeah. God's not so great at this God thing. The title isn't clickbait. I seem to genuinely believe this. And the presence of this belief is a new discovery for me. And, as with most groundbreaking excavations, this discovery happened in therapy. At first glance, what I've just said is quite messed up. Like, it's insulting, irreverent, and not so covertly expressing the idea that God doesn't know what he's doing. Like, how dare I, right? But trust me, I'm just as outraged as many of you. And I'm also learning that you can admit you hold core beliefs that you don't necessarily like. Many of us do, especially social ones, but I'll hold my tongue on that for now. Anyway, yes, God's not so great at being God. Let's think about it this way. You have to go in for surgery. Yeah, yeah, I know, enough with the medical analogies, Jojo, but please bear with me. The fact that the church is compared to a body in scripture coupled with the fact that I'm constantly reviewing my medical knowledge makes analogies like these a lot more convenient and easier to flesh out. Pun intended. Anyway, yes, they gotta hit you with the old slice and dice. Just kidding, you have an inflamed gallbladder and they need to remove it. Anyway, as with most surgeries, a cholecystectomy comes with its own set of risks and potential complications. Infection, damage to nearby structures and vessels, DVT after surgery, and tons more. Not to talk of risks associated with going under anesthesia. At your surgical consultation visit, the experienced surgeon goes through these risks with you and reassures you that you're in good hands. But somewhere between the words blood and catheter, your knees get weak and your palms get sweaty. You panic. Mentally, you have a chart weighing the benefits of having the surgery versus not having it. Your pain is great, so your gallbladder has to go. But what about the risks? You've Googled enough, watched enough Grey's Anatomy and ER. If George Clooney can do it, so can you. You've got to take control. So you decide to operate on yourself. It sounds crazy, but it's not that far-fetched. At least when we land this plane and get to the point of this analogy. Let's say the surgeon has like 20 years of surgical experience. Four years of medical school, five plus years residency, fellowship, specialty, etc. Over 10 years of in-depth, stressful, expensive as heck training, and 20 plus years of successful practice. And you have what? Piano fingers and a few medical dramas under your belt. Hard sell, chief. It's going to be a no for me, dog. Let's say you see this stupid idea through, though. Let's say you see this stupid idea through, though. In trying to perform the surgery yourself, you harm yourself, create more complications, and insult the medical expertise of the medical team assigned to your case. Not to talk of the fact that you have absolutely no idea what you're doing and have risked your life in the process. It takes a certain level of ignorant confidence to believe that you can outperform a surgeon and operate on yourself. Unless you, of course, are also a surgeon. But I don't think your name is Leonid Rogozov, is it? No. So leave your gallbladder alone. The conclusion to this problem is clear. You aren't a surgeon, so don't operate on yourself. But may I be so bold as to remind you that you aren't God either. Where does that leave us? Far be it from me to try to perform my own surgery. I've seen enough of the human body to understand that I don't know anything about it or its extensive complexity, and that's okay. That's why I'm a medical student and not a doctor. Yet. But I'll never be God. Yet. 
For some reason, I find it a lot easier to waltz into his presence and try to usurp his throne than to even fathom grabbing the scalpel from an attending physician and ruining the sterile field, as we medical students are so good at doing. I don't do so knowingly. Trust me. I'm not in the business of making myself look worse than I already do. But my actions expose me a lot. I clap on the one in three in church and sing about God's reckless love, but what if I genuinely see God as a literal reckless being? So much so that I have to take the will from him so we don't crash in the very same car I asked him to drive. It's giving mixed signals. God is not so great at this God thing. I might not say it, but my actions do. This flawed but oh-so-very-human core belief explains a lot of stuff. It explains my tendency to want to micromanage things I've supposedly left in God's hands. It also explains the discomfort I feel when I truly have no choice but to leave the issue in the hands of God. But oh, I might be an introspective little Jojo, but don't think you've gotten off scot-free, dear listener. What are some ways in which your actions say you love God but don't trust him? I'll take it up a notch and provide a more concrete life example. My family. I love my family so much, and we've been through a lot. Often I feel the need to protect us. We're all godly women with pure hearts despite our flaws. I truly believe my family is a gift from God, an evidence of his goodness. That's why what I'm about to say doesn't really make sense. To varying degrees, we're survivors of narcissistic abuse. Most of, if not all, was done in the name of God. I won't tell each woman's story as it's not mine to tell, and I won't even tell mine yet as I'm not trying to give birth in the marketplace, metaphorically speaking. Dealing with the trauma we have endured as a result of a spiritually and emotionally unsafe environment left a bad taste in my mouth where God is concerned. Unlike the surgeon in the analogy I used earlier, God failed me in this part of my life. Forget the million little miracles and many other times he showed up and kept his promises to never leave or forsake us. I'm having a hard time unlearning so much wrong teaching dealing with baggage and a weird view of marriage and discovering I'm not a hard-hearted monster, all because the elements of the soil I was planted in, supposedly from his supply, were limiting my growth. In that case, he failed me. And yeah, I know, he cannot fail, but seeing my family endure supposedly God-sanctioned hardship for decades with no tangible life jacket coupled with spiritual gaslighting and neglect led me to conclude that he was indeed reckless but not in the emotionally crying altar call lead me to the cross sort of way. I love God, but with ensuring that my loved ones experience the love they deserve and are protected, I don't trust him. I think he's not that great at being God in those instances. Despite his many successes where I'm concerned, when it mattered most, he fumbled the ball. And that's where I'm at, if I'm being honest. I'm throwing my hands up in the air and finally admitting to the belief my actions have been saying for over a decade. This belief is strange to say out loud and sends my cognitive dissonance off the charts. How can you love and believe in someone you don't fully trust? I know that I can't be God. And I know that God loves me. He loves my family. I also know that no matter how much I love them, I can never love them more than he does. I also can't protect them like he can. But for some reason, the mistrust wins out. Because if God was so great and his love was so strong, why wouldn't he have protected those who were vulnerable? If he is the ultimate physician, then why did he withhold treatment? And I think I'll leave this episode with that question. I'm tired of staring at the reflection in the broken mirror at the moment, and the younger me, the safer me, is pulling me away. But don't be discouraged. I see and have hope where this question is concerned, and I plan to explore that pretty soon. So, yeah.
Till next time, stay blessed.